possible. Folks, we're going to uh, continue our series in uh, the fruit of the Spirit, looking at, in particular at uh, goodness today. And how are we going? Are we up there? There we are. Oh, that's not the right one. How did that jump in? Let's switch that off. I want to start with a, a story. Uh, it's a holiday story. And, and uh, I was in my shed this week. I hadn't been in the shed for a couple of weeks. And, and I was in the shed. And the first thing I noticed was the fishing rods up on the wall. And in the past, I have been an uh, uh, occasional fisherman. Uh, certainly when the children were at home, we went fishing occasionally. And my recollection of those fishing days with the girls was Cheryl would sit in the car and read a book while I would take the girls out and we'd try and catch fish. Most of the time, I think, it was me untangling the fishing lines of the girls and putting the bait on the hooks because they didn't want to do that. But every now and then, we would catch something, usually a, a, a toadfish or a little shark, so we'd have to, have to throw it back. But more than uh, uh, occasionally, we'd catch a good fish. And in those days, it was whiting or brim or, or um, flathead. And uh, some of them were take-home fishes, you know. So we did the right thing. We had a bucket of fresh salt water there, fresh salt, clean salt water. And um, we pushed the fish in there until we were ready to go. And then I'd take the fish out, do all the cleaning and preparation so we could take it home and eat it. Except as the girls got older, they started to say, oh, are we going to kill that fish? I've got a glass of water there, thanks. Yeah. Are we going to kill that fish? Yes. Do you like fish? Yes. Do you like eating fish? Yes. Well, then that, that's where the fish comes from. Oh, we don't want to eat fish anymore. And uh, so from that time on, it was catch and release. So we used to catch the fish, have fun catching them, and then we release them. But we had to make a decision somewhere along the way there, what was a good fish and what was a bad fish. And the bad fish were the toads and the, and, the, uh, and, the, and the sharks and all that sort of stuff. The good fish were the ones that we could take home. The decision that we made in catch and release, it was good for the girls, but it was really good for the fish because they didn't have to worry about being eaten, not by us at least. I'm going to come back to that story as we work through this message today. If you have your Bibles there, we'll be starting off with Galatians chapter 5. And verse 22, 23, by now that should be a familiar passage. Let me read it to you. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we've been examining those fruit as we've been looking at developing our Christian character and in, in, the, in the way of being true in 22 along that theme. Have you ever thought about being good? Now, there's a lot of different um, understandings of what that word means, the word good. And so I'm trying to, today, come from a biblical perspective so that we understand it clearly, so that we can be good as God intends us to be good. In the English word, the word good carried the same connotation as the word God. So there was this as the English language developed, there was this correlation between good and God. In the Jewish tradition, the good, the term the good, was regularly used for God. So it was about God's nature, God's character, who he was. But we don't mean that when we say good these days, do we? It doesn't come across as, 
as the meaning of the word good. Here we are. We're up there. Are you good to go, Cheryl? Yes. Thank you very much. So we're going to go. We're going to be talking about gliding towards goodness. What's it mean for us to be good? Okay, there we are. There's my fishing pictures. It's not me. I like that second one, though. I reckon that's the sort of fishing our girls would like to do off the couch with magnetic fish. Here we are. Now we're up to speed. Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 17 to 22 is a story about the video that we just watched this morning about the uh, rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Goodness is an interesting, or good, goodness is an interesting fruit to consider because we don't uh, understand it that much these days and to the point where we're good, the word good is often smeared, it's tarnished. So how do we grab the good meaning back again? Our culture tends to make fun of anybody that might be considered a goody two-shoes, someone who's kind, who's trying to do the right thing. We, talk, we hear in the community about love and peace and joy, and they seem to be the, the wish list topics to discuss. You, know, you can talk about love, you can talk about peace, you can talk about joy. But does anybody really talk about goodness anymore? It doesn't seem to be one of those uh, ones that gets a mention much. I think, sadly, we've overused the word. We've overused the word good. We say things like, um, I've had a good vacation, or I really had a good cry over something. Or I had a good meal. So this morning I want us to see how the word good is used in the Bible. And I'm going to draw a picture. Uh, There's three gospel accounts of this story of the rich young ruler. There's Matthew chapter 19, Mark chapter 10, which we're going to look at, and Luke chapter 18. And I want to draw a picture on what happened that day. Because there's different elements of the story in each of those gospels. And see if I can pick it up as we go. You might like to follow along in Mark's Gospel because uh, we'll use that as a basis. This is how it goes. After watching Jesus pick up little children and bless them, a wealthy man came to Jesus and he fell on his knees and he tried to catch his breath and he said something like, Good teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? You know the story? Jesus turned to this inquisitive man and asked, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. The man did a quick inventory and said, I've kept all those things since I was a boy. There's got to be more. Is there something that I'm still missing? Surprisingly, Jesus didn't argue with him or point out that he couldn't possibly have kept all these commands. Instead, he looked at him with eyes of love, and then said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, his face fell. He was saddened. He walked away because he had a lot of money. And I think there's three things out of this passage that we can learn about goodness and what it means to be good. I want to focus on those this morning. God is good. We are not good. And goodness comes as a result of following Jesus Christ. This man was seeking the truth. He had everything he needed. 
or so it seemed. He was young. The phrase young man could describe anybody between the age of 24 and 40. How's that? Anybody that's edging towards 40 is still considered young biblically. He was well respected. He had a lot of cash, but he was not happy. He was not happy with his performance-orientated life, his graceless religion. He wanted more. And he could sense that something was missing. And so he sensed that Jesus had the answer. That's why he ran up to Jesus. He was sincere in his approach to Jesus. By kneeling, he demonstrated his sincerity. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? The wealthy leader comes running up to the peasant preacher. This confident businessman kneels at the feet of a carpenter's son. In his life, he would have been taught, and it was common in the Jewish teaching, that he had to do good things in order to be saved, in order to be acceptable to God. But something was bothering this young man deep inside. He starts by calling Jesus good. He starts by saying, good teacher. What did he mean? Why do you call me good, Jesus said, when only God himself is intrinsically good? God's character is goodness. Why do you call me good? I wonder if his answer surprised the fellow that was asking the question. Initially, it had no connection to what he was asking, did it? He was asking what he must do to be saved. But Jesus focused on this, this virtue of goodness first. He makes this man realise that the essence of goodness, the quality of goodness, is exhibited in God alone. That only God is truly good. 1 Chronicles 16 puts it this way, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. He is the essence of goodness. Psalm 119, verse 68 says, David saying to God, you are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your degrees, decrees. Um, the psalmist wants to know how to be good, how to live out a life of goodness. I'm sure you've said it all the time, you've probably sung it from time to time, God is good when? All the time. God is good all the time. And just like the story of the professor, he is good, but bad things still happen because of disobedience and sinfulness in the world. The young man addressed Jesus as a good teacher. Perhaps he's trying to compliment him because he saw something authoritarian in Jesus' style. Jesus was trying to say to him that he couldn't be good unless the young man recognised that God was good. When you call me good, Jesus is saying, then you're calling God good. Are you prepared to acknowledge who I really am, that I am the Son of God, because I'm good? So Jesus is asking that sort of question, implied question. So God is good. And I think we'd agree with that. He's righteous, he's good, he's just, all those things. So what's the issue here? Oh yeah. We are not good, it says there at the top. We are not good. Jesus was making this point to the young man that man was, is not good. Man has this attitude in life of selfishness, which is 
sin. God doesn't have that. This young man's concept of good was mistaken. Jesus was trying to highlight that. It clouded his perception of who Jesus was. And it also clouded his understanding of himself. And that's, that's a situation I come across uh, regularly in our life, in, in, in our community. People think that they're good or better than somebody else, but they have a misunderstanding or an underestimate, underestimation of their goodness. He was saying that he is good because he obeyed all the rules. But Jesus said there's still something else. Because his attitude to the poor and his attitude to wealth wasn't good. So the common conception of the day was that you had to do something good to return, to, to gain eternal life. But Jesus was saying, no, you have to have an attitude to life that will gain eternal life. That young man thought that he kept all God's standards of goodness. But Jesus was able to show him the true condition of his heart. And that's what God's about today. There's lots of great people in our world today doing some wonderful things. But the question is, what's their heart attitude towards that? Is it one of self-glory or self-importance? Or is it one of humble servitude because God wants them to do that? Psalm 14, where are we? Psalm 14 says, All have turned aside, David wrote. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's just reaffirming that essence of, of sinfulness, that nature of sinfulness in people's lives. Paul echoes that in Romans 3 where he says, All have turned away. They have together, together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then later on in Romans he says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So people need God. They need his goodness. They need his salvation. While this young man was trying to justify himself by pointing to his outward obedience to the law, Jesus makes it clear that no one will be declared righteous by the things that they do. Paul writes this in, in Romans 3. He says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather through the law we become conscious of sin. I wonder if Jesus is saying, you know, what you've done is, is good, it's, it's honourable to keep the commandments, but you're still missing out on how to have eternal life. There's no way you can be good enough to get to heaven. Let me show you what I mean. Sell everything and give it to the poor. That's Jesus' answer on how he should get eternal life. He was showing this man that he had made Money his God, he'd broken the first commandment, he'd made money his master. And that's not what God wanted. Again, Paul writes about it in 1 Timothy when he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's that love of money. Money itself is not evil. Some people are eager for more money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So he's trying to highlight that even though the young man's intentions were good, the issue he had was a heart issue. How do we get to be good? Goodness comes as a result of following Jesus. That's really where it comes from. Look at this verse in Mark chapter 10. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It wasn't as if he was writing him off. He loved him enough to say, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus didn't love the man because he was good. 
or because he kept all the religious requirements, Jesus saw that he was trying to do the right things, but he was deluded. He was didn't have the right attitude, therefore he couldn't measure up. But in spite of that, Jesus loved him anyway. There are people out there that are sincerely wanting to know God, but they're putting other things in the road and not getting down to the nitty-gritties. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says this, This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God loved us even when we were his enemies, even when we didn't love him back. God does that for you and me. He sees that all our efforts, no matter how good we might to live, might, might live life, those efforts fall short. And yet he still looks at us with love. Out of his abundance of love, Jesus says, one thing you lack to all of us, one thing you lack. Go sell everything, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. To be good means to be kind, means to be generous. We talked about being kind last week, the other week. This doesn't mean that each of us has to sell everything we have if we want to be a disciple. Jesus was addressing a very specific need that this fellow had. And in so doing, he exposed his heart. There may be other things in our lives that Jesus wants to put his finger on and expose so that we might be totally surrendered to him. He may do that today. If I was to ask you the question, what one thing is keeping you from an exciting uh, faith in Christ, what would that one thing be? What's, what's the one thing that keeps you from full surrender to Jesus? It may be a, a, a relationship. It may be a habit. Maybe a secret thing that you, you are caught up in that nobody else knows about. Jesus would say to you today, just like he said to that rich young ruler, get your act together. For the young ruler, it was to sell everything off, this one thing you lack. Be generous, be kind. What would Jesus say to you today if there's something that's holding you back from surrendering to him? This man turned down the gift of eternal life because his fist was clenched onto his wealth. He couldn't give devotion to anything else because he couldn't let go of that. The Bible tells us that he's, he, he went away with his face fallen or sad. He went away because he had great wealth. And that, meant, that word sad is an interesting word. It says... Um, I think we've got it here. Yeah, there we are. Those are questions. He went away sad. The Greek translation of that word is, it gives this picture of storm clouds gathering, is the word sad. The man who had run up to Jesus, all excited, now shuffles away while he's got this inner storm happening in his life over the issues that Jesus pointed out. I've often found it interesting that Jesus didn't go chasing after him. Jesus said the truth. He invited him. He told him to do the right thing. He invited him to come and follow me. But it was up to that person, up to that man, to make that choice. There was a battle going on in that fellow's life. Uh, Matthew six twenty four tells us no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Someone has once said that money is a marvellous servant, but a terrible master. 
Money is a marvellous servant but a terrible master. It's good, to th- it's, it's, it's good to have the things money can buy, provided that you don't lose the things that money cannot buy. There's nothing wrong with money. But let's not lose those things that are important that money can't buy. As I was doing some research, of all the people that came to Jesus, all the people that came to the feet of Jesus, this, is, this man is the only one who went away worse than he came. Next time you're reading the Gospels, look for those people that come to Jesus. Jesus, apart from this guy, met their needs. This guy went away worse than what he had come. He had everything that money could buy, and he wanted something far more important. He caught a glimpse of it in Jesus, but still walked away. And people do this all the time. You know, people that see followers of Jesus in action, they, they think and they say, I want what you've got. But when we tell them how you get it, they say, no, that's too hard. I don't want to give up control of my life. Similar to the story of this rich young ruler. I can't think of anything much sadder than that. When people can see the truth, but they choose to walk away. I trust that no one today will walk away sad this morning. I trust that we are all going to be excited at what that gift of goodness brings into our lives. So how does this relate to the fruit of goodness? First of all, God is the only one who is good. We are not. We can't get to heaven by trying to be good because we'll never be good enough. The only way to be good is to be made good through salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's illustrate some, some goodness today from God's word. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 39 says this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. There's a whole long list of rules and regulations in the Old Testament. Jesus pulled it all down to two. The great commandments. There was another man in the scriptures. You probably know him. I'll tell you his name in a moment. And he was faced with a choice. His choice was to love God and others or serve only himself. He made the right decision. Instead of walking away in a storm of selfishness, he chose to follow Christ. The Bible tells us he was, tells us he was wealthy because he came from the island of Cyprus. And that island was known for its abundance of mines and forests. This man was a landowner. Listen to how Luke describes him in Acts chapter 11, verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord through him. I wonder who this man was. He was a good man because he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man because he had put his faith in Christ as Saviour and Lord. He wasn't good because he was born that way or because he had kept some of the commandments. Acts chapter 4 tells us that he was a, a Levite, a member of the priestly uh, or the teaching uh, uh, part of Jewish church. It meant he was pretty religious. Yet none of these things mattered before he knew Christ. He was full of goodness because he was full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. Any guesses as to who I'm talking about this morning? This, sorry? No? No, this man's name was Joseph, but we don't know him as that. We know him as Barnabas. 
Barnabas. And the word, the name Barnabas is a nickname which means the son of encouragement. This is who I'm talking about. He was known as an encourager or as a consoler. He was a good man who went around doing good things because the God who is good worked his goodness through him. That's a lot of goods, isn't it? I want to look at four ways briefly this morning that the fruit of goodness was displayed in his life. And, and you may be able to identify with some of these. The first thing, he surrendered his good money to Christ. Acts chapter 4 and verse 37 tells us Barnabas sold his property and gave the proceeds to the poor. I think I've got it there. He sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. He was a son of encouragement. He saw his assets through the eyes of stewardship rather than ownership. A steward is something who owns nothing but is responsible for everything. While the rich young ruler served his money and walked away from Christ, Barnabas chose to serve the kingdom of God with his money. That's the difference. I read recently that somebody said about greedy people, greedy people don't really have a money with problem. Sorry, they don't, really don't have a money problem, they have a faith problem. Who are they really trusting in? Is God in charge of their lives? If he's not in charge of your money, chances are he's not in charge of your life. Martin Luther, uh, a great teacher of, of the early church, well, later church, said this, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the mind and the purse. And I think we see it. For people who are walking with the Lord, money is important, but money is not the God. Money is to be used for God's purposes. Barnabas didn't appear to have a difficulty in opening his purse to help people. There's a story in, the, in Acts, which is a real contrasting story, is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember that story? Acts chapter 5. They sold a piece of property, brought it to the apostles of the day, but they knew they were holding some of the money back. And yet they were saying that they were bringing it all. It says there, verse 2, with, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Sadly, what happened was, their actions revealed that money was more important than their trust in God. And sadly, as a result, they were both struck dead because they'd lied to God. I wonder if your good money is being used to serve Christ. One of the best ways to defeat and disarm the money monster, I'm told, is by regular giving. Many of us know the joy of giving. There are generous people in our church. Some people give 10%, some people give over and beyond 10%, some people don't give 10%, but they give their time and their energy so that this church might have a ministry to our community and beyond. And while we're doing that generously and cheerfully, God will bless. The second thing that Barnabas did was he served in a good ministry in the church. Acts chapter 13 and verse 1 says this, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas was one of them. He had the gift of teaching and he used it to serve God and serve his church. We encourage people to use their spiritual gifts in service in our church. And it's clear that that we are saved to serve. There's not just saved to sit, it's saved to serve. So what is God asking us to do? To be fruitful in our church life. 
Here's something to think about. This might be an action step that you could take. Between now and Easter, which is what, a month and a bit away, two months away, think about the needs or the opportunities for service in this church alone, let alone in the community. We have Kids for Christ starting up next week. Mainly music has started already. Elevate Youth, our home, uh, Bible studies and connect groups. There's, there's opportunity in property maintenance. There's opportunity in the seniors group. We're looking to establish a men's ministry. We have influence at the access place. We have the opportunity to teach Christian RI. The women's ministry is looking for creative uh, women to, to be in service in, amongst the women in our church. You can volunteer to be part of a team in the church. What's God asking you to do with your gifts and your ability? One challenge is, for me this year, is prayer. And uh, one thought I've had is to have people praying through the service. So in a, in a place out of the way in the church, in a room somewhere, one or two or three people praying throughout the service. Maybe that's what God's asking you to do. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So what are you doing that is doing good for everybody in the life of the church? A third thing that Barnabas said was that, did was he said good words to believers. So God, Barnabas was listed as a, a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was good. And that's what he said. He said good words to believers. When Paul was converted, Barnabas was the one that took him to uh, meet the disciples, the apostles. This is about Paul. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. He goes on, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So, Barnabas said good words to believers. In Acts 15, when Barnabas and Paul were planning a missionary journey, they had a bit of a Barney. So Barnabas in a Barney with Paul. And it was a disagreement over whether John Mark should travel with them. But at the same time, they left on pretty good terms, but they both had uh, God's will in mind when they went. Later on, Paul... Uh, invited John Mark to assist him in ministry. I wonder if you can think of anybody in your circles that needs a good word today. Anybody that you can encourage, similar to Barnabas, as a son of encouragement. Is there anyone that's doing life tough, that's a bit battered? Why don't you take the opportunity to encourage them? Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, I think I've got it up there. No, it doesn't. It says this, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need to be people who are encouragers. We need to say a good word to other people. The fourth thing that that, um, Barnabas did was he spoke good news to lost people. Matthew 28 verse 19 was that uh, commission to go into all the world, baptising people, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. And that's what he did. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 1, 
Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. They spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. That's what Barnabas was doing with Paul. And chapter 11, verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I wonder, would someone call you good in the way that you live life? That's what God's Spirit will bring out in you as you allow him to do that. John Wesley, one of the great preachers of the past, about 250 years ago, wrote this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Do all the good you can. I want to finish this morning on a bit of a negative note, really, but hopefully it's a positive one for most of us. Jesus said one last thing to that rich young ruler. He said, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. He lacked that compassion. He lacked that willingness to surrender all to Jesus. One thing you lack. What about us? What's God saying to us? You may think that you're pretty good. You may think that by coming to church, by giving your money to God or some of your money to God, you're doing the right thing. But the bottom line, as Jesus emphasized with that, with that young man was surrender. Surrender of your life. And for some of us here today, we may not have fully surrendered our lives. You may have given a mental, yes, I believe in Jesus, but never said, Lord, here I am. Take all of me. Take all of me. I think back to the fishing story with my girls. We put the good fish in a bucket, threw the bad ones back in. If they were too small, or if they looked like they were going to die because of being on the hook too long, we threw them back in. One day Jesus is going to do the same. In Matthew he said, once again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad fish away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want anybody here to be a bad fish. I trust that we've all made that decision to surrender our lives to Jesus so that we can be considered the good fish that will be kept for eternity. In any church, in any gathering of believers, there are those that are walking closely with God. There's, there are those that are just stumbling along, if you like. I believe God wants us to be like Barnabas. He wants us to live out that good life because we have surrendered our life to God. One last thing. Make sure that you are walking with Jesus today. It's your choice. God is good. We are not good. Goodness comes as a result of following Christ. Let me pray this morning. Father, as we pray, we know where we stand before you, whether we have surrendered all or whether there are things, there are secrets, there are things in our lives that we hold on to and we don't let you uh, take control of. Lord, you know that. Father, I pray that we will be described like Barnabas was. I pray that people will see us 
as people full of the Holy Spirit and that we live good lives. Lives that are encouraging to others, lives that are kind, generous, and all those things that we've talked about already. Father, I pray that if anybody's struggling with this this morning, that they might chat with myself or someone else in the church today, that we might be able to encourage them to surrender to you and allow you to be the one that brings out that, that goodness, that good quality in their lives, because you fill them with your spirit. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.